Good morning, everyone. Man, that was some good worship this morning. I hope that the Lord spoke to your heart and that uh, through this time, God is continuing to speaking to you and, and causing you to grow. We're, we're in a, a series. We're, we're looking at the book of Titus, and we're looking at how to seek a good life. That Can we actually seek a good like life or have a good life even when we're facing trials like we're facing now? And I believe there's so much that God can do in us and through us if we allow him. And I think God works his best when he kind of takes us off our game. Um, I, I, I've been hearing this word a lot, the new normal, or I'm, I'm waiting for things to go back to normal. Um, I, I, I'm praying that God takes this new normal uh, and does something deeper in our heart. I believe every situation that we face um, can be something that God can work into our hearts. I, I believe every situation can be a time for discipleship where God causes us to grow deeper. And I think sometimes we, we need to switch things up. I think every single one of us can get into a rut in our lives, especially in our spiritual lives, where we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden something happens in our lives that's beyond our control and all of a sudden, God does, does a new thing in our hearts and our lives. And that's really what I'm praying for uh, through this pandemic, that God causes us to grow and, and does something deeper in our hearts and that we can use it for discipleship, that we can actually grow. So this, this message is going to be a discipleship message. How can we grow through this pandemic? How can we grow uh, in the Lord through COVID-19? And I believe he can cause us to grow when we use the word or we say character or when we look at someone and we say they have good character, what do we mean? Um, we would say if someone has good character, we would say, well, they're honest or uh, they show integrity or they're trustworthy or they're humble or they show compassion or maybe they show um, respect. Those are things that we look at when we see someone of good character. And I believe what God wants to do in our hearts and our lives through this time is I believe he wants to develop our character, real character. And it, when we go through a difficult time, God will shake us and reveal really what our character is. And maybe God has revealed some character flaws in your life during this time. How many know when you're cooped up with someone for a long period of time, you see their flaws. For those of you, uh, you know, I'm a pastor, so I marry people. And when I'm counseling uh, two people that are engaged, you know, they're holding hands, they're lovey-dovey, they're in my office, they're all, oh, th this person does no wrong, and everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden you get married. And all of a sudden you're with that person all the time. And all of a sudden you begin to see their character flaws. Now, I know some of you couples out there, when you got married, all of a sudden you're like, I didn't know they did that. They're gross. No, I'm just teasing. They, there's just things in their life that you see now that you didn't see before, right? Because you're with that person. What I want us to see today, as we look in God's word, as we look, as we've been studying the book of Titus, God is revealing to Paul and God revealed to the apostle Paul, here are the qualities that I see in a good leader. We're going to read that in a moment. And I believe what God desires most in us is to develop our character during this time. There was a historian. His name was Warren Sussman. And in his book, uh, Culture as History, 
he looked at the phrase good character over history and how that word good character changed over history. And he said that the word good character peaked in the 19th century. And he said this, and I quote, he said, character was a key word in the vocabulary of Englishmen and Americans, says Sussman. And so, so important to society that it was promoted as an essential component of one's identity. So one's true identity, what Sussman is saying, was their character. This is what we, see, what we saw back in the 19th century. He goes, but something happened in the 20th century about the definition of character. He said things began to change in the 20th century. As we transitioned from a producing to a consumer society, something happened within us. He said the emphasis shifted from a focus on virtue and goodness to focus on self and material possessions. And here's what Sussman said. He said, the vision of self-sacrifice began to yield to that of self-realization. It became more important to cultivate personality traits, influence, and outer perceptions than to develop nobility of heart, mind, and deed. And here's what I think. I think through this through this trial, it is revealing in us what our true character is, what we truly trust. And are we allowing what we're going through now to develop our character and our trust in God? And so we're seeing, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of good things. And I just dropped my glasses, so I need them. <laughs> we're seeing a lot of good things around our world today. We're seeing a lot of people do a lot of good things. However, However, it's also revealing probably not so great things that we see in our character and the way it can create fighting within people and polarize people to different sides, maybe different political sides. And so we can see some ugly things too. Um, you know, so we need to be careful there too. And I believe that God is using what we are going through to change us and to look at what things are most important. And so good character may not be an essential pursuit in our world. However, God sees it as vital to our growth in him. So God sees character as something that is very, very important. God can uh, use this pandemic to change our character and and maybe take away our our things that that are shallow in our lives and give us a new perspective in our lives. How many of you know it's, it's much easier to complain than it is to change? It's much easier to complain about what we see around us. The more difficult thing is to say, how is God changing me? And this is where it works within our character. So the word character is from this uh, Latin root word that literally means to engrave. Um, An artist, fine work, is defined by the worth of that piece of marble if if they're making a, a statue. And they're engraving their work into that marble to make it worth a valuable piece of art. Um, Michelangelo's statue of David is worth $200 million. Now, what's interesting about uh, the work of of Michelangelo on his work of the statue David, it was created between 1501 and 1504. And this, what was interesting about the, the, the piece of marble that that he used 
Um, the marble uh, to, to carve David was abandoned for 25 years before Michelangelo carved his great masterpiece. It was in the courtyard of the Opera del Duomo for 25 years. And, and actually, there were two other artists who were originally commissioned to work on that piece of marble. And what they did is they passed on that piece of marble because they felt like there was too many imperfections within that marble to work on it. So Michelangelo spent two years making the masterpiece of David. And Michelangelo meticulously carved this statue with great care and detail. He took time. He didn't hack at it or, or else it would be just a, a big piece of, of rubble. But he actually worked at it. And he took what other people saw as imperfections and not worth anything and Michelangelo saw something different in this piece of, of, of marble. So he worked diligently at it to create this wonderful masterpiece. And this is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. He sees us. He sees all our imperfections. And if we allow the trials of lives to work at our imperfection, God will begin to engrave his image and his character into our lives if we allow him to do it. So Michelangelo didn't pass on this piece of, of marble. He saw something great that he could create through it. So what, what happens is God sees all our imperfections in our lives and he patiently works on us and he creates in us what he desires. So let me, let me ask you three questions right off the bat. Let me ask you three questions. How, how can God use what we are experiencing now to develop our character? And what are some things that we have allowed to be ingrained in our lives that need to be removed? And how are we allowing the character of Christ to be engraved in our lives? And so as we study the book of Titus, I want you to see the character that God cares about and, and the character that he desires to see in a disciple of Christ. And so Paul writes to Titus to show him what a good life in Christ looks like, um, Titus was a convert of Paul and he helped him tremendously. And Titus had a love for Jesus and the church and he worked hard to resolve issues within the church. And Paul well trusted Titus. And so Titus lived this good life. Um, he had good character. And Paul saw this in him where Paul said, listen, I want you to lead the church in Crete. And as we studied last week, the church in Crete was very difficult, the culture that surrounded them, very immoral. And so uh, Titus had his work cut out for him. And so what Paul does is Paul says, I'm going to, I want you to establish the churches here in Crete. And I want you to see men uh, that are around you, people that are around you, that you can rise up and put in leadership positions to lead the church. And, and you're going to have to have people that have character. And I want you to see the list that, that Paul gives to Titus on the type of people that he wants to lead uh, the church. So Paul understood that a good life in Christ is one that is marked by character. So character is seen in a person who does the right thing even when everyone else is not. And I like what C.S. Lewis says here. He says, Surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. And so let's see what Paul says here about the type of person that God wants to see in a leadership position or the type of people that God wants to use in his kingdom. And so let's look at uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Let me first read these to you. And, and here's 
Paul writing to Titus and, and asking him, here are the type of leaders that I want you to set up in the churches. He goes, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And listen to the qualifications he has here. He says, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe they're not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness or violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, wholly disciplined. He must hold firmly and trustworthy messages that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. And they must be silenced because they are, dis um, they are disrupting whole households by teaching things that they ought not teach. And that for the sake of, of dishonest gain. And then he goes down a little bit further in this verse. And listen to what he says about, about those who do not have good character. He says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. He says, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. Because their mind and consciousness are corrupted. And listen to what he says here. He says, such people claim they know God. So they claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. This is where I think Paul is tapping into the character, why character is so important. And this is how Paul describes them. Those without character, they are detestable, disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And I want you to notice the common thread throughout these verses. Paul is more concerned with what type of person they are than the variety of skills that they can bring to the table. See, we, 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 we need to think about these verses. And, and we might think about them and say, well, well, Pastor Barden, he's speaking about leaders in the church, so it doesn't apply to me. And, and I'm not a leader, so I'm off the hook. But I would say not so, not so fast. Um, yes, these are characteristics of a leader in a church, and it's important that someone immature in Christ is not quickly put into a position of leadership. But I would tell you that every believer in Christ should be striving for maturity in their walk with Christ. And Paul shares with Titus what this life should look like. So why should we care about character as a follower of Jesus Christ? I like what Billy Graham says here. He says, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. And this is why Paul was so concerned that there would be men of character who would lead the church, that we would be people of character as we follow Christ. So Paul addresses these two groups of people, those who are causing division and those who are being influenced by them. And Titus would have to face um, those who were distorting uh, the message of Christ. And they were telling people in the church that um, you had to obey these certain Old Testament laws in order to be a Christian. And so basically what they were saying is, by what you do on the outside, right? They were more concerned about how religious they looked on the outside than really the character they were displaying on the inside. And Paul said to Titus, watch out for those 
who are more concerned with their religiosity and how they look on the inside than truly who they are on the inside. Because what's happening here is, is they're acting religious, but they're really not living it out in their lives. The way they live, truly live their lives um, is not congruent with, with what they're saying. And so here's the irony. Um, these so-called religious people that Paul was speaking about, they were obeying certain Old Testament laws and that made them look godly. But Paul calls them out and says that they're rebellious and they say that they know God, yet they don't show it in their lives. I like what Tim Chester says here. He says, when we react against some aspects of our culture, when we see some things that are wrong in our culture, moral things that are wrong in our culture, and set up rules to protect ourselves from them, we ignore other ungodly aspects of the same culture. We limit the demands of godliness, reducing it from becoming Christ-like to becoming a little less like our culture in a few ways. Man, this is a good quote. I like what Chester says here. What he's saying is we can look at our culture and say, oh, look at all these bad things. Look at all these bad things. And so what we do is we try to live a little bit better than those things. But in reality, all we're doing is, is we're, we're kind of cherry picking the things that we don't like. But there could be other things in our lives. There could be character flaws in our lives that really don't match up to with what God is saying. So we may look at our lives and think, man, I'm doing pretty good because I'm not living like other people or living like those particular people. Like the old saying goes, I don't drink, chew, or go with girls like do, right? So as long as I'm not doing those things, then I look good. But then there could be other things. What, what Chester is saying, there could be other things in our lives that, that aren't godly, that, that aren't showing the true character of God. And so we could be, um, we could be short-tempered with our spouse, and not really think about it because we think, well, I'm not doing these real bad things, but yet we're very short-tempered or we have, or we have an anger issue. Or, 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 or we may fudge on our taxes and say, well, that's not a big deal, but we fudge on our taxes. Or we hold resentment and bitterness in our heart towards somebody else. Or we gossip about uh, other people who don't follow our rules. And this is where it can get really dangerous. And this is what Paul's saying. Be careful here because some people, they look religious on the outside, but the, the character of who they truly are, they're really not living it. And so it's an outward form, Paul says, of godliness that Paul says has really no power at all. They claim to know God, yet their character doesn't show it. You see, character comes from within. It's not looking to impress people with how godly I think I am. And so what I want to do for you is I want to drill down on one characteristic of character that I think is so important for us to model. And we see this characteristic in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I believe if, if this is something that we can see as a trait of a follower of Jesus Christ, this is going to help us to walk through whatever we may walk through. And I think that just maybe during this pandemic, this is a, a quality or a character trait that God is trying to develop in us. And I know he's doing it in me because I asked my kids, I said, you know, I'll be open. I say, hey, what, what, what are some character flaws that you see in my life? You know, 
And they say, well, Dad, sometimes you get irritated easily or you're impatient. I said, you know what? You're right. And so when things aren't going the way I feel that they should go, I can maybe maybe there's some of you that are like me out there that you just it, it's hard to be patient when things don't go your way sometimes. And I can be that way. And, and that's a character in my life that God needs to work in my heart, in my life. And so the only way that we can find where our character flaws is, because all of us are blinded, we all have blind spots in our lives, is by asking those who know us best. And that's a hard step to take. And I think for some of you, here, some of you that are listening today, this is going to be a big step for you. This is going to be a big step for you, either as your spouse or some of you are close to just saying, hey, where are some shortcomings in my life? And if, if you ask loving people who care about you, not to criticize you, but because they love you, they want to help you, those are the people that you uh, want to go to. And so these are the things that we need to work on. And so this is a character trait that I believe was exemplified in Jesus. And one of the character traits that Paul points out uh, as he's writing to Titus was the character trait of modesty. Modesty, not arrogance, but modesty. And we can see this in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to serve us. He, he gave of himself so that we would benefit. Everything about Jesus' life was modest. Everything Jesus did was for our benefit. He took our sins upon himself. He who was sinless bore our sins so that we can find freedom and forgiveness from our sins. Everything Jesus did was to benefit you. We, we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to our salvation. Jesus comes down from heaven, lives among us, completely uh, 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 man and God at the same time. He lives among us. And then what he does for us is what we can't do for ourselves, and that's, and that's to approach a holy God. We couldn't do it because of our sin. But Jesus comes. And he dies on a cross for you and I. And he gives everything for you and I and takes our sin so he could appease the holy standard of God that we might now approach God through Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He humbled himself on the cross. The, the, the crown that was made out of thorns were thrusted on his head, nails thrusted into his feet and his hands, a spear into his side. He did that for you and I, that we might know God. Everything about Jesus showed his humility and how he served us. You see, arrogance should not be part of our character as a follower of Christ. Everything that that Paul talked about in a leader comes against arrogance or lifting myself up. The word arrogance is, is interesting because it comes from a Greek word, athedos. And basically what this Greek word means, it, it, it basically is just thinking too highly of yourself. It's, it's self-willed, it's inflexible, it's stubborn, it's conceited, it's having a high opinion of yourself, it's, it's self-pleasing. It, it's the opposite uh, the opposite of arrogance is, is modesty. And this is, this is the characteristic that Paul wants to see in us, in, in leaders specifically. So when we think of modesty, many times we think of maybe dress, or, and, and it can mean by the way you dress. But I want to dig into this because it means a lot more. Modesty means to live within limits. It means to live within limits. Now, 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 what? listen to me now. Everybody follow me. Everybody glue into me for just a minute here, okay? The five people that are sitting in the sanctuary are glued on me right now. But listen to me. Here, here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what's so important. 
what the coronavirus has done is, is just taken us off our game. I mean, you think about it for a moment. Just within a week when this first came out, everything changed. It, it, just, it just literally changed. And if it, if it hasn't humbled us, something is wrong. If it, if it hasn't caused us to realize that we're not as in control as we think we are, we've got a lot of pride and arrogance. And, and, and my prayer for you is that you've allowed this situation to humble you and realize that we're really not as in control as we think we are. We never were. So I'm, I'm hoping you're allowing that to speak to you. So modesty means to live within minutes. Are we showing modesty in the things that we say and do? Are we showing modesty in what we're posting on social media? Are there limits to what we are saying? Or are we arrogant in the things that we say or our position that we feel or our opinion that we feel so strong about? And I'm not saying people shouldn't have opinions, but are we showing modesty with limits in what we are saying? Do we show modesty to others who have a different opinion than us? Are you hearing me? Are we showing it? That's a, that's a character issue. So it's, it's not having a high opinion of yourself. Modesty submits to boundaries. So someone uh, that, that is arrogant will always be easily offended and always have issues with others. Why? Because there's a need to feel important. I like what Andrew Murray says here. He says, one great power of sin is that it blinds men so that they do not recognize its true character. Now, there's a different way of looking at at character because we've been looking at good character and what God expects in us. But he's talking about the character of sin. The character of sin blinds us so much that we don't even recognize its character. That's why we have to constantly guard our hearts. You see, a modest person protects themselves of that. A modest person does not need to proclaim their importance. It's a dependency on God. Modesty is open to correction, and it has an open heart for correction. An arrogant person is not teachable. And listen, we, we can take the situation we're in now and we can complain against it or we can say, how can this situation teach us? How can it cause us to grow? How can it magnify our character flaws so that we can deal with maybe some of the things in our life that ought not be, be there to allow God to ingrain and uh, etch in us what he desires in us? And so we will never stop learning and we should look at every situation as an opportunity for growth. Every situation is an opportunity for discipleship. I just want to, I, I, I just want to share this story with you as we just kind of wrap things up today. But I want to, I want to share the story with you. It's, it's from a book called The Road to Character by David Brooks. And in this book, he shares different uh, character qualities of different people throughout history who have made a difference in other people's lives. And he shares a story about, uh, about George Marshall. When George Marshall was serving as chief of staff under President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he had, he had an opportunity, and this opportunity uh, would have put his name down in history if he would have accepted this position. But here was the thing about George Marshall. George Marshall, 
his character was that he would never promote himself. And so during his time as chief of staff, he developed an outstanding reputation. Now, this is what other people were saying about him. And the one thing that was said of Marshall was the immensity of his integrity. The most significant moment for Marshall came in the middle of World War II. What what was happening is the Allies were planning Operation Overlord, which is code name for D-Day, the Battle of Normandy. And this would be the greatest military operation that was ever attempted. And the person who would lead this operation would forever go down in history. Now, the other allied leaders, Stalin, Churchill, all thought Marshall would get the nod to lead. Everybody thought that George Marshall would be head of this operation. Everyone assumed that he would be the commander in the field. Now, FDR had to make the decision on who was going to lead this operation. So he brought Marshall into his office, and FDR said, um, FDR said all Marshall would have to do is say yes, and he would give the job to Marshall. Years later, in an interview with George Marshall, he said this. He said, I was determined that I should not embarrass the president one way or the other that he must be able to deal in this matter with a perfectly free hand in whatever he felt was the best interest of the country. That is incredible. George Marshall could have easily put himself out in front, could have easily said, I'm the man for the job. FDR, you got me. He would not do that. His character and his modesty would not put himself out front. He did not want to influence the president's decision. So Marshall did, did want to lead. He did want to lead. He was, he was the man for that job. He would have done a great job, but he refused to push himself forward. So what happened when FDR asked him if he wanted the job, he wouldn't be drawn in. He did not want his private feelings to have any bearing on the president's decision. So FDR made his decision. And what he did was, he said, to, he said to Marshall, he goes, I need you here in Washington to help me. And I'm going to send Dwight Eisenhower to lead the command. And he became the supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe, Dwight Eisenhower. He, th- this would be probably for him, this would be the greatest professional disappointment in his career. He had such integrity that he actually wrote a handwritten note to Eisenhower telling him that he got the position, which shows his integrity, that he wasn't bitter. Now, he may not have led Europe during D-Day, but this is what George Marshall left behind. Here's the interesting thing about his story. George Marshall's first wife had a lot of health problems and, and they couldn't have children. He knew how to separate his professional life, which he did well at, to his private life. He would even tell those that worked under him, hey, make sure that you're working on your private life. Make sure you're working on your family life. And George Marshall took care of his wife to the day she died. And then he eventually would, would, would get remarried again. 
See, the thing that we see about George Marshall is integrity and his character and who he really was. He may not have been able to lead the, the greatest victory that we see on D-Day and the enormity of, of what that entailed. But you know what? He lived his private life right. And he cared and he loved his wife. This is what he was known for, his integrity, his faithfulness to his wife. See, I, I want you to realize what, if, if someone were to characterize your life, what would they say? How would someone characterize your life? If your spouse were to characterize your life, what would they say? And, and my prayer for you is how are you allowing what we're going through now to grow your character? How are you allowing what we're going through now to, to allow God to maybe expose some things in our lives that need to be exposed? What are the things in our life that we're truly striving for? Is it to be known? Is it to be out front? Is it to get the accolades? Is it for everybody to know me? Or is it to allow God to speak in those private areas of our life? Because that's what discipleship is all about. It's allowing Christ to speak to those private areas in our lives. And I believe going through trials and hardships exposes those things so that God can continue to work on us. That God wants to do his work. He wants to create his masterpiece in us if we allow him to work on us. So I would say that God doesn't pass us up like those two artists did with the, the marble that Michelangelo worked on. They saw the imperfections. Listen, God sees all your imperfections and guess what? He still loves us. He sees all our frailties and all our shortcomings and he says, would you allow me to work on you? And remember, it's, it's much easier to complain than it is to change. And so as we're going through this difficult time in our world, I would ask and I would pray, God, change us. Open your lives up to God and say, God, what, what are the areas of my life? Am I, am I more impatient now? Am, if, are you revealing anxiety and fear in my heart? If those things are coming out, give them to the Lord. You can trust Christ with them. He knows what we're going through, but God wants to use those so that we can be greater disciples in him, that we can grow in him. That's how much he loves you. He will not leave you alone. And he uses, he uses the trials in our lives to cause us to grow and to work on our character so that we believe what we say. We believe what we say. And the only way we can change is by allowing those trials to come and not wasting those trials, not wasting our suffering because God uses it for his glory. Jesus did not waste his suffering. Jesus used it to glorify God so that you and I could have that right relationship with God. So I'm going to give you homework, all right? It's going to be a tough step for you. But I want you to go to someone who knows you best, whether it's a close friend or your spouse, whatever it may be, 
And I want you to be brutally honest with them and say, hey, are there things that you see in my life? That, and listen, this is not to be to cause fights, right? You've probably already had enough of those being quarantined together for a long period, for this long period of time. I don't want you guys to fight, but I want you to be open and, and take that time and just say, you know, what, what are some things that you see in me that, that I need to change or that I need to look at, that I need God to help me with? And God, God will help you and do that in a loving way. And those that you... Uh, that, that take that step, I believe God's going to help you with that and help us grow closer to him. So let me pray for you. And uh, thank you for just tuning in. And I'm just praying for you. We love you. We miss you. And, and I'm, I'm just believing that God will continue to do great things through this and through us as a church and individually through you, that we won't waste this, that we'll allow God to use it so that we can grow closer to him. So let me pray for you. Father God, I just love you. I, I thank you for who you are. And God, you care about our character. It's not about all the accolades. It's not about just all the stuff on the outside that we can so get caught up in. It's, it's, it's about our hearts, God. It's about how we're allowing you to speak to those private areas in our, our lives that may be wayward. So God, I pray that you would use this trial and other difficult things that we may go through in our lives to, to speak to us so that we can change, that, that, that we would realize that, that we are the clay that's on the potter's wheel, that we would give you access to our lives to chip away the imperfections that are li- in our lives. You love us so much that you don't want to keep us where we're at. Lord, I thank you that you do that gently, that you have patience with us, that you love us so much that you want to develop your will and your character in our lives. So may we be open to that. May our hearts be open to other people that speak into our lives of those things that are flaws in our lives that we need to work on, God. And we we thank you that each and every one of us are a work in progress. None of us have arrived. So we thank you that you patiently work in us to create in us what you desire. So I thank you for your people. We continue to pray, Lord, for our country. Lord, for those that are still battling with this virus, for healing God. Thank you for so many people who've stepped up and just have done great things through uh, this virus, God. We pray for our leadership, that you would continue to give them wisdom and understanding on how to lead our country. I thank you for our church, Lord, and God, I just pray that you would continue to touch hearts and lives through this. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thank you again for tuning in. Um, we love you guys, and uh, we'll see you again next week. God bless you.